Welcome to the Rainier View Christian Church Podcast, where we invite you to pursue God, engage in community, and make a difference. Hey there, well, welcome to the RVCC Podcast. So glad that you're here. My name is Mike Parejo. I'm uh, one of the people here on staff. We're glad that you are joining us as we are starting uh, a new series called Movement, and we wanted to talk about some uh, some aspects from week one that we didn't get an opportunity to talk about. So, uh, Jeff, why don't you introduce yourself, our expert for the day? <laughs> well, you'll be disappointed about that expert uh, expertness in a little bit here. But yeah, my name is Jeff. I'm part of the teaching team here at Rainier View. And yeah, um, like I said, Mike, we jumped into this past week a uh, series on movement and really looking at um, how do we identify the process of spiritual movement, moving from, right, we might be in a place where we're spiritually completely uninterested. There's just not something that's on our radar. We don't understand that world. And then how do his people move from a place of spiritual disinterestedness to a place of openness? And how do we move from a place of openness to curiosity and curiosity to embracing faith for ourselves and growing in that faith and then being somebody who's helping others grow? And so that's what we want to do, um, not in a coercive way as a church, but we want to be about helping people experience the hope and the freedom and the life that come from following Jesus. Um, but often the process of that can be frustrating for those of us who've been following Jesus for a long time, mm-hmm. right? And we want to see other people do that and do that more quickly. And then on the flip side, I think there's a lot of people who are frustrated by Christians because they believe that, oh, well, you're just about like bigoted, backwards, hateful, mm-hmm. being big, bad meanies to people who are not like you. And so really like the hope in this series is, hey, can we kind of like bridge some of this and help break down some of those stereotypes, but show how anyone, wherever we're at, can take those steps of faith. And so, yeah, we jumped into Acts 17 out of the Bible. And so um, if you're, uh, yeah, just need a refresher or you're unfamiliar with Acts, um, the book Acts in the Bible uh, really is a, a chronicling of the first generation of the church mm-hmm. and the spread of the, the early church uh, around the ancient world at the time. And so um, that's that's the book. And in Acts 17, we get to this moment where Paul, who's a kind of um, a key leader in the church, uh, he comes to the city of Athens and he encounters a very, we would describe today as a pluralistic religious society mm-hmm. uh, that there are, yeah, people worshiping all sorts of gods, all sorts of idols, all sorts of ideologies, and it's really kind of a crossroads, um, you know, even that melting pot idea, right, Mm -hmm. is happening in Athens philosophically. And so there were a couple groups there that I didn't get a chance to really talk about in the message because it would have just been a big giant side trail, uh, (laughs) and nobody really wants to hear me talk. We really value keeping our church services to no longer than an hour and five minutes, and uh, this... uh, you know, if for no other reason that it's not really fair to our kids' ministry. Like, you know, when the pastor goes 10 minutes longer, then our poor kids' workers uh, have to figure out, oh, no, what do I do with these kids who are screaming to see mom right now? So, yeah. yeah. For those of you who are like, that would be great. Let's just do church for two hours. Yeah. <laughs> Sign up to work in kids' men. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, and, and you know, just uh, before we jump into it here, so this is, uh, this is kind of, it's not really part two of that message, but it's... It's like uh, 
like the bonus features on on a DVD or something like that. So it's kind of getting the extras. Um, and so if, if you haven't listened to the message yet, uh, you don't actually you don't even have to leave right now and go watch it and come back. But but uh, you can kind of listen to them in either order. It doesn't really matter. But if you want to get week one of the movement series, you can always go to our website, rainerview.org, or you can go to our YouTube channel where we've got all of our messages posted there. So if you haven't listened or watched that yet, make sure to catch that. It's obviously on the podcast as well. So, uh, so yeah, so there were these two groups that we didn't get a chance to talk about, the Epicureans, the Stoics. Now, Jeff, correct me if I'm wrong, I'm pretty sure that I saw Epicureans and Stoics on tour opening for Smashing Pumpkins when I was in college, <laughs> but I'm you, not, I think that's what they were called. I'm, you I'm, I'm not sure. most definitely did, and if it wasn't, uh, it would definitely be a great prog rock band name now, so yeah, if you're out there, like, you want to start a band? Maybe it was like Gin Blossoms they were on tour with, I can't remember, <laughs> but um, anyway, so so who were these groups, and, and where do we see, we're going to talk about kind of where we see maybe some some modern parallels. Yeah, uh, and so I thought we'd just kind of start with each one of these groups. And again, this comes right out of the the pages of the Bible, uh, Acts 17:18. It says a group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Uh, and so these two groups really represented two major streams of thinking. Uh, and so the first um, found its roots in a guy named Epicurus, uh, and he lived uh, from 342 to 270 BC. And his, his goal uh, in life and his philosophy was pursue pleasure. Uh, and the, the height of pleasure for him was not necessarily like a hedonistic, mm-hmm. um, Hugh Hefner-styled, you know, pleasure or just pleasure wrapped around, you know, necessarily um, some sex-fueled, you know, crazy pursuit of pleasure in that sense. Uh, but for Epicurus, pleasure meaning um, the life that brings the most tranquility, um, a freedom from pain, uh, really a, a, a lack of passionate, you know, um, emotional, you know, kind of being all over the map, um, and being free, uh, freed from superstitions and even even the fear of fear of death. Um, he didn't deny the existence of uh, a god or gods, but kind of just said they don't really matter. Um, you should just kind of have the chillest life possible and enjoy the best things that you can in life and just kind of hang out and chill. Is this where Spock and the Vulcans kind of got their, uh, <laughs> their lack of emotion? Cause like when you, when you're talking about it, like it feels that like that way a little bit, like it's not about pleasure. It's about uh, not even necessarily balance, but like, yeah, like, like this, this lack of passion in their lives and that they, they learn to kind of hold all those emotions very deeply inside and, and, and not let them out. And they felt that was the best way to live. Yeah, yeah, that you wouldn't be ruled over, dominated by by any force outside of yourself. Mm-hmm. Like, why would you bother? Like, um, so uh, I I love this description that I came across. Um, uh, one commentator described the Epicureans as a philosophical school because that was kind of Epicurus. He had like his you know his Instagram page, what he thought, and then people picked it up and turned it into like, hey, let's all live this way. Um, And so as it developed into like a way of thinking or a way of life, um, kind of a a philosophical school that valued pleasure, again, the absence of pain and disturbance, and they disbelieved in the gods of ancient myths. They were influential, interestingly, only in the upper educated classes, um, and their views to God would be similar today of what we would describe as deism. Mm-hmm. Um, probably the most famous American that would em- would have embraced 
you know, deism would be um, Thomas Jefferson, mm-hmm. who was famously a deist, just that um, the there's if if the universe was a clock, yes, there's a clockmaker, but he is disinterested in whatever's happening on said clock face. <laughs> yeah. He kind of wound it up, let it rip, and now we're just all here fending for ourselves. Yeah. That's interesting. Like, so I, I found this quote by Jefferson where he called Epicureanism the most rational system remaining of the philosophy of the ancients. And so, yeah, it's definitely definitely where, where he lands. So, Wow. that's we, So we didn't even plan that. But yeah. like you had had that quote, and, yeah. you know, it, it was – so it's interesting thinking about I live for five and a half years in Virginia. And so um, yeah, I got a chance to go to Monticello okay. um, once and do the, do the tour. Um, and it was interesting the ways that Jefferson must have had to, like, bifurcate his his values. Right. Mm-hmm. Like so much of what drove him. It wasn't that he like it's almost he had an awareness that slavery was wrong. And yet the pursuit of this vision of this agrarian, you know, um, romantic, you know, um, plantation was just simply more important to him (laughs) than than, you know, doing what was right. And so, yeah, that's interesting that you just you grab that quote that's like chief Epicurean in the United States would have been Thomas Jefferson. Um, Yeah, I I wonder um, just kind of thinking more current, you know, current day, where do you see? some of these same themes being lived out and pursued, like just in our own kind of culture. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Uh, I'm, I'm, I can't think of necessarily any any people as an example, but but this idea of, you know, avoiding any and all pain and discomfort, and you see that everywhere in our society. Like mm-hmm. we, we turn to all sorts of things, and it doesn't necessarily have to be like, extreme forms of pleasure because again that, that's you know he, hedonism is this idea like you know that's that's my life's goal which is not epicureanism but there's a lot of ways that we try to avoid pain there's a lot of ways that we try to avoid discomfort in our life and whether it's okay life is hard so i'm gonna go binge an entire season of the office on netflix tonight like yeah. so this this is gonna help me avoid like is it pleasurable uh yeah kind of but ultimately i just don't want to have to think about what I have to do later this week or the mm. phone call that I just had with somebody or, or it's, you know, you know, scrolling endlessly on social media. And that's a way like, OK, like I don't have to think about life's problems if I'm just scrolling through Instagram for mm. the next hour. How did an hour go by? I've got no idea, but that's just what happened. And and so there's a lot of ways that. Yeah, and again, now is that necessarily having to do with the upper class society? No, not necessarily, because everybody can have a cell phone. Everybody's got social media, but we all like to find ways to avoid pain and discomfort. I think for many people, that actually becomes the, their miniature god. Is is mm-hmm. how do I avoid pain in life? Because no, nobody likes pain, so I'll do whatever I can not to have to deal with it. Yeah, and it's it, it's interesting. Like, you know, there's so many so many directions to go with this that the avoidance of boredom like we're the first generation that can if we choose to as human beings never be bored again (laughs) because i can keep scrolling on my phone there's another series i can Mm -hmm. keep binging um there's something to distract me from my inner thoughts and my inner life right but that only goes to such a point because to live right just completely trying to live free from worrying about anything or, you know, just uh, I'm just going to kind of be absorbed in the moment. Well, eventually that catches up with you. Yeah. I mean, right? like, there's no avoiding it. There's only delaying it. Right. And, like, so there's there's no way to avoid it. But 
and that's what we want to do. <laughs> yeah, and, and interestingly, for the you know in the Greco-Roman world, to be Epicurean really, while on one hand it was a, a you know kind of a way a general way of thinking, to actually practice Epicureanism back then, you would have had to be an elite. You'd had to be an upper class mm-hmm. educated person because think about it. Otherwise, you were you were serving as somebody's servant, or you were working yeah. your own land, or you were a merchant, or you were a tradesperson. Like there were only a select few people who could actually had the ability to practice any of mm-hmm. these any of these like just I'm just gonna have this chill life and like just trying to avoid anything bad and like the rest of the world's like. Yeah, sorry, I've got to work 80 hours a week to survive. Yeah. Nice idea, bro. <laughs> and uh, but that, and I think that that does hold true today. You know that that those who do have access to more, you know, um, more wealth have more opportunities to mm-hmm. indulge in in different pursuits, and those who you know are in a you know lower socioeconomic bracket have less opportunity to do so. And so, but we all have the ability to distract ourselves. Like you said, like mm-hmm. all of us can find ways to do this. And, and I see it like embrace just kind of in, in a, in a generic agnosticism. Like I have found, I've found nobody like in real life who is, I would say a pure atheist, like no. not that there's not people out there who are pure atheists, but most of the people I know, they're not pure atheists in the sense that like, they absolutely know 100% there's no God. It's more so, I don't see how God helps me with my life, and I don't want to think about these big questions. Mm-hmm. Therefore, like, I'm just not going to go there at all, and I'm just yeah. going to kind of just roll with whatever's in the moment. And so I, that's more of the variety that is, to me, very akin, very similar to what would have been Epicureanism, Epicureanism back in um, Paul's day. Yeah, yeah, this idea. And there's so many people, like, I mean, you're not going to find too many people that – that are just adamant about, you know, no, there, there couldn't be a God. It's got to be, you know, something else. But, okay, I believe in a God, but that's such a faraway concept. And, like, it's such a, like, again, even having yeah, having to think about that, having to deal with that, like, okay, that, w- that may cause me pain, so I don't even want to think about that. Mm. So I'll just go along with the idea of believing in the man upstairs, but... I'm going to leave it at that because it's my life ultimately, and I'm going to pursue the things that that I want to pursue, and the things that I'm going to pursue are not going to bring me pain. And so, yeah, and and wherever you're at, if you're listening to this, like, and you are in a spot where you're like, yeah, that's that's me. Um, my encouragement would be to press into the questions. Mm-hmm. So, like, one of the you know, kind of the the, the second week, you know, give away some spoilers here, but talking about, you know, (laughs) moving from being, you know, critical to um, being truly curious that sometimes when we're open, that can actually lead us very quickly to being critical of something Mm -hmm. rather than pressing forward and being curious. And so I would encourage those who are kind of in that, like, yeah, there's probably God there, but I don't want to think about it. No, like be curious, ask why, why don't I want to engage in these bigger, these bigger questions about life? Why am I so resistant to even a discussion around that and pay attention to what's going on within you as, as you're asking yourself those things. Uh, Cause I think there's a lot of, again, richness and groundedness that we believe is found in embracing faith that just many are living without. And it's just, it's so worthwhile. So I just encourage you to like press into those questions. Yeah. yeah you know, and this, this is 
not going completely off topic, but I just, you know, thinking about this idea of I, I'm distracting myself with a ton of things just to be able to avoid pain. I'll never forget when I was a youth pastor way back in the day, um, there was a student that, like, he always had headphones in. Like, mm-hmm. he was always listening to music mm-hmm. all the time. Like, he couldn't go to sleep without headphones in. Like, and uh, and he made he made a comment in small group one night and the idea of, like, yeah, like, I always want to have music in because – I'm afraid of what I might hear if it's quiet. And he wasn't talking about like demons talking to him. Like ultimately it's where his thoughts would go and where his mm-hmm. mind would go. And the things that like that God might put on his heart that like, Nope, I don't want to think about that. I don't want to have to think about it. And, and we've got to learn uh, to be able to deal with those things. And, and even if there are painful memories, like, again, that's, that's why there are so many great counselors and therapists out there and, and the need to be able to, to process pain, to work through it. Because again, avoiding it, uh, you're you're just hitting the pause button. It'll it'll come back later. Like you, you'll have to deal with it eventually. I would encourage dealing with it now, even if it is painful. Yeah, so. no, that's such a good such a good word. So, well, yeah. So that was kind of one one group uh, that that liked to hang out and debate things on the Areopagus back in the first century A.D. But we had another group, uh, the Stoics. Uh, and so, okay, it's stoicism. Maybe this has a little bit more resonance. Like, okay, we know the word stoic, mm-hmm. but maybe we don't really, you know, know much beyond that. Um, but stoicism was really founded by a guy named Zeno uh, around the same time as Epicurus. So apparently, whatever was happening in the 300, 200 BC, it was it was the time to no. mint your ideas. Like, I don't know, it was the Twitter of its age, like whatever was going on. Oh. But Zeno was the guy who kind of founded Stoicism um, and kind of habitually taught in the in the Agora um, in Athens. Um, and his teaching really centered on trying to live harmoniously with with nature, with the world around uh, you. And really, his big emphasis was um, emphasizing our rational abilities as people and being as an individual self-sufficient. Mm-hmm. So we get this idea from that word stoic, where we face face our challenges stoically. We face them head on mm-hmm. and we don't get flustered and we're gonna, um, you know, we're gonna embrace things that way. And uh, the, the big difference between stoicism and Epicureanism seems to be around, um, theologically, it was very, for the stoics, they're very pantheistic that, mm-hmm. um, you know, any and all sorts of gods could be worshipped, and you know you you could do that. And God was really kind of more of a um, Star Wars ish force. Mm-hmm. This world, yeah, I was going to say like, this is very that, much Hinduism and the thousands and thousands and thousands of gods that you can find anywhere. Yeah, and that they're just one of any conduits to a larger world soul consciousness mm-hmm. thing, um, and. And yeah, so similarly to Epicureanism, but for maybe different reasons, you know, most people didn't walk around like, I aspire to be a Stoic philosopher. It was more kind of the pop ideas that came into the culture, mm-hmm. just that generally people, um, yeah, would would, um, would believe in. And so... That, that's what they would fill their Instagram feed with was, you know, Stoic quotes, yeah, pretty much. Exactly. Yeah. And I, and probably, so if there's one that would kind of capture maybe the, the heart of um, Stoic belief... If, if there was one, you know, Instagram square, uh, it would say, who rules the world? Fate. <laughs> yeah. Fate rules the world because you can't do anything about these larger forces at play. And therefore, um, that's why you're trying to do your duty, be a good person, 
working in harmony is basically don't fight against those forces because mm-hmm. they're bigger, stronger. There's nothing you can do about them. So try and go with the grain, not against the grain. Oh, and by the way, you better be able to like take care of yourself and look out for yourself because no one else is going to. Uh, and so you could see, again, how that could breed a very harsh world, um, mm-hmm. you know, very brutal world, if you will, of just like, you know, nope, nothing's guaranteed and you better you, you better grind away to protect yourself and, you know, carve out an existence for yourself. Um, so, yeah, what what kind of thoughts get stirred up for you? We talked a little bit there. Yeah, uh, man, when I, when I think about it, and, and this is something that I feel, I, I don't know if the pandemic has brought this on necessarily, but this idea of I have to rely on myself. Like again, like because again, pandemic's going to force you. Like it forced us inside, forced us to be, you know, separate. Like yeah, maybe I can see people on a screen, but like it was hard. Like I think it was hard for people like to to rely on others. And and but e- even in America, like from, from the very beginning, like you know, one of the things that we love as Americans, like you know, the, is the story of the guy who pulls himself up by his bootstraps and mm. and I did this and this is the life that I created for myself and. And, you know, my, my grandfather came to this country with nothing and my father had to do this. And then I finally was able to. And, and this is what we see a lot in our country and in certain generations, especially is just this value of like, yeah, like, look at the life that I've created for myself. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I didn't need others help necessarily. Like um, maybe maybe I can help others. But but ultimately, like, I don't need other people. I don't, I don't need to rely on others. I need to make sure that I, I, I look out for number one and take care of number one. And yeah, I, I don't know if it's quite as prevalent today, but but we've seen it a, a lot and just kind of that, that need to, you know, look, look out for number one. Yeah. And, you know, obviously, like, you know, throughout the, the course of our history as a as a country and our culture, one of the values that gets pointed to over and over again is uh, American individualism, mm-hmm. uh, right? That the idea that uh, as an individual you have agency, you can make it, and that that value can often get um, vaulted to the the chief value that that anything that violates my um, my ability to to pursue whatever I want is you know, is wrong and every other value needs a slot underneath that. Mm-hmm. The challenge biblically is that the value of independence is not a chief value. Uh, the value of interdependence seems mm-hmm. to be the biblical theme of we are connected to one another. Yeah. I mean, think about all of the one another's in the New Testament. If, if, if you're listening, you've never done this exercise, we'd encourage you, you just go to a... Um, you know, a site like Bible Gateway, uh, and just type in one another, and just look at all the verses yeah. that speak to our interdependent. We're, we're we're created, we are intended. God expects us to be interdependent upon one another, and so again, like freedom is is a wonderful value that we're seeing right now. That the democratic world needs to again defend and protect and. Um, you know, uh, make sure that we uh, that we protect that. But sometimes I think what gets lost in the mix for uh, for those of us, you know, in in the United States at least, is that that somehow the chief value or virtue that God wants us to embrace is individualism, hmm. 
and that's simply not a biblical value. And that's why it's just so important to do the hard work and, you know, even do some of these kind of like more windy, deeper discussions around this, these things, because it's a subtle, it's a subtle difference, but it's a powerful difference um, that, yeah, Paul was encountering back in the first century. Yeah. Yeah, and that's why I think it's in First Corinthians twelve, where he talks about like you know the, the body of Christ. You know, it's well, it, it's a body. Like, the, and, and he mm-hmm. uses this example that that everybody fulfills a different role, and that we're all different parts of the body. And and you know, and we can get caught up in like, well, am I an eye or a foot or a spleen or whatever? But like, but the <laughs> point of the analogy is that like that you know, if you think about the human body, like all 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 of the different parts and pieces like rely on one another, like. You just you can't survive as just an eyeball. Like that, you, you are no longer a living thing. Like it's you're just an eyeball floating in a jar, and that's relatively worthless. So, or um, even worse, if you're just a giant living eyeball, like that is a very creepy image. Oh, that is <laughs> horrifying. I'll, oh, okay, we we got to move on because that's that's gonna haunt me. So. <laughs> Yeah, and I was just trying to think of anything else like this idea of, yeah, I mean, like the very much uh, Star Wars, you know, living in harmony with nature and reason and the force and the force flows through everything or whatever. And yeah, while there is, is truth that, that God has created everything, and yes, and but, but, it, but as humans, like, you know, he's called us essentially to be stewards of this world and mm-hmm. to take care of this world and... and you know, and there's a lot of groups that would say like, yeah, well, people are equal to animals and we're all equal in God's eyes. And it's like, well, no, like, like we've all been created by God and yet humanity, like we, we have been created in God's image. And that doesn't mean that we can just like, you know, go to Africa and shoot all the rhinos that we want and like, you know, wipe species off the planets. Cause you know, whatever, like, you know, that, that that's yeah. the flip side, but at the same time, like, no, like God, God has put a special value on on people and how we are to take care of this earth that He's created, but not necessarily like I, I don't need to look at a flower and see myself as an equal, and, and that that flower has an equal right to all the things that I have a right to. And all right, I'm I'm going way off the deep end here, but but just no. this idea that like no, I mean, but but God has created us in a certain way that yes, harmony is good, and yet. You know, we, we still need to remember that that God has actually given humans uh, special duties in, in, in taking care of his creation. Yeah, and I think in contrast to the, you know, the phil- philosophical streams that were, you know, maybe the most represented in, in Athens um, at that time, um, the a little bit later in Acts 17, what you're talking about makes me think of what Paul goes on to say um, in verse 25. It says, rather, he, God himself, gives everyone life and breath and everything else. And then jumping down to verse 27, it goes on to say, God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and we move and we have our being. As some of your own poets have even said, we are his offspring. Um, in that in that concept, that idea of being created, again, like you said there, um, stemming back all the way from Genesis, being created in the image of God, we're, we're God's children, and therefore we have a worth and a value, and and that worldview of man, God caring for us, and then ultimately for for us, uh, you know, faith in Jesus, that God cares for us so much that He sends Jesus to not just be with us, uh, but to be a sacrifice for us. That mm-hmm. that uh, 
a true relationship with God could be restored and redeemed, uh, man, that's a very different picture mm-hmm. than the philosophical ideas that were debated at Athens. It's a very different picture of the God who truly cares. And as I said in the message, you know, if the resurrection is true, it means that there's a meaning for my life and a God who knows my pain. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so, so good. Um, well, thinking about that, um, you know, what kind of one of the things you can, you can start this question off, what stands out to you and how um, Paul engages with sharing his faith here in such a pluralistic setting, all these different gods and idols worshipped, all these different thoughts. Um, what stands out to you in how Paul interacts here on Mars Hill? Well, it actually, I mean, it, it kind of comes back to something that you just said and that I, I love in what Paul does is that he's quoting their own poets back to them and he's he's creating a bridge. Like he's creating, and again, like in, in week two of the series, we're going to talk about this a little bit, but but this idea of, of finding that common ground by, by quoting their own poets and, uh, you know, just, just proving that like, yeah, like I, I want to meet you where you're at. And, and, and I love that. I think that's something that, uh, that man, we, we can, I think we can take advantage of that today and not just like, I mean, because a lot of times like people consider the idea of sharing our faith is just walking up like, well, this is what the Bible says, and this is what the Bible says, and this is what the Bible says, and, and we throw like like this arsenal of Bible verses mm-hmm. at people, and we just, you know, you know and, and we just expect people like, oh, the Bible says all that? Well, then of course, like, no, I, I think, you know, if, if we're really going to engage and share our faith, like... You know, the, the idea of sharing faith uh, necessitates another person, obviously. And if there's going to be another person involved, then there also needs to be listening involved to the other mm-hmm. person and taking the other person's point of view into consideration. And, you know, it, it's funny. I think, like, so often, uh, you know, a lot of times, like, you know, whether it's student ministries or preaching adult services, a lot of times, like, I will use clips from movies or TV, but they're not Christian movies. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not constantly showing clips from the movie Fireproof or Facing the Giants <laughs> or, or things like that. Uh, but I will, you know, I, I love using movie clips from movies that everybody has seen or, or a lot of people have seen or TV shows that, that are going to be recognizable because it's something that it can start to draw people in of like, oh, like, yeah, I, I remember watching that. Okay, well, now how do we tie that in with a truth that we find in the Bible or like, how does that clip, how, how does that scene, uh, you know, how does it demonstrate, you know, a principle that, that we see in, in the scriptures. And I think, it, you know, I, I think it's just brilliant. What, what he does is so brilliant in connecting with his audience uh, by, you know, extending some of some of the words that, that they have already believed, some of the mm-hmm. things that they have already bought into, and then using it as an opportunity to share like, okay, like so let's let's see Jesus in that. Mm-hmm. And and I think that is just just absolutely brilliant. Uh, I, I wish I could do that more off the cuff in conversations. <laughs> like it's easier when yeah. you're when you're planning a sermon and you can plan to show this minute and a half cliff, but like that's not always how it works. Like, hey, we're having a conversation. Let me show you this clip on YouTube on my phone, and then we can talk some more. But um. right. <laughs> uh, although, you know, a lot of people, all they do is just trade memes and video clips anyways all day long. So, you this know, maybe true. it's not that far-fetched. Yeah, but this, this is um, true. Yeah, and and I think that 
because we live in such a polarized society right now and culture right now, like a cultural defining thing is, you know, just again, like uh, sometimes I use the phrase, others have used it too, but like this resurgence of tribalism, like I've got Mm. my tribe of people and that's who I'm like and that's who I care about and therefore I don't need to care about anybody outside of my tribe or even worse, the people outside my tribe are the enemy. Mm. Uh, And man, Paul that's not his attitude in Athens. That's not his posture. He, he goes, yeah. and like you said, he looks for where can I build common ground? Where do we have agreement? So therefore, then I can share what uh, what I believe. And then it's an ongoing dialogue. Um, yeah. it, it, back in Acts 17, it, it goes on to say, you know, he looked, he, some wanted to hear more yes. from him. So it wasn't a one-time thing people continued to have discussions and conversations. And from there, some people's lives were radically changed by this good news that Paul had to share. Um, And I just think it takes the pressure off. It takes the pressure off to like, somehow we are good enough to win someone to the Lord or to convert (laughs) someone. And it's like, in some ways, like how arrogant, yeah, like how I, arrogant. We actually have nothing to do with it. <laughs> and, and really how unbiblical because over and over again, again, the language of the Bible itself, we're called to be ambassadors for Jesus. We're called to be witnesses. Those, those phrases, right? We're just representatives. We're just sharing what we know and presenting to the best of our ability. And again, it, it's the job of the Holy Spirit and God himself to be the one working our hearts I just feel like that taking the pressure off enables so many of us to breathe that sigh of relief. Like, I could, I could do that. Mm -hmm. I could have just like a discussion with somebody and like, and at the end of it, I don't have to like air quotes win (laughs) Um, that I'm just called to be faithful to share what I do know. That to me, just opens the doors so much easier to sharing about our faith than some high pressure timeshare sales tactic. Yeah, yeah, and it's you know it's interesting because I think a lot of times when when followers of Jesus think about sharing their faith, the, a lot of times the image that comes into their brain is you know the, the person that it's it's an overused cliche, but like you know, but the guy that's literally standing on a milk crate and he's got the bullhorn and he's yelling at people, and you know, there's part of me it's like, wow, I wish I had that kind of boldness to be in a crowd of people and say like, hey, I want to tell you about Jesus, uh, but but on the on the flip side they're not there to have conversations. Like they're just there to say what they have to say through a bullhorn. And like, I, I don't know if I've ever seen somebody in a situation like that actually talking with people as opposed to just talking at a crowd of people. Mm. Like, like, yeah, like again, like uh, I've been on college campuses where like, yep, the person's got the right to free speech. And so they're going to be up there and they're going to be saying whatever they want. And, but nobody's listening. Everybody's just kind of walking by because the person's not interested in having a conversation. We see the opposite of that here with Paul, and like he is intentional about yeah about engaging others and not just talking at them. And granted, I mean there were there were places like you know they, they, there was time to teach and, and time where you know teachers would get up and, and, and say their piece. But like but in this situation and what we are called to do, it's yeah we, we need to share our faith in in the midst of a back and forth conversation as opposed to let me say all the things that I have to say mm-hmm. and you need to say yes. And right. like, which that, that almost never happens. Um, okay. So, so next question. So the idea, how, how does this chapter, how does uh, what's going on here in Acts 17, Jeff, how does that give us hope in kind of our own 
cultural context right here and now? I think it's just so much tied into what we've just been talking about yeah. that, you know, I was talking to somebody and they were, um, uh, you know, they're same age as me, so they're 40 and kind of, uh, you know, has enjoyed a high degree of success in, in their field. And it's kind of like, okay, what do, what do I want the rest of my life to be about? Like, what are the mm-hmm. values I want to embrace? What's the difference I want to make? And, you know, just he's trying to sort through that. And he immediately went to, man, I would just love to see, like, less division you know we're mm. so divided right and so everybody is feeling the same sense of of this um and so the hope that that it gives me is that well the answer has always been to be an actual relationship and have like dialogue with one another that is dignified and honoring and that doesn't mean that you know it's never going to get a bit emotional and that doesn't mean that we back off of what we believe mm-hmm. It means that we we have a humility, and because that has been so lost uh, it, as just a practice in, in our culture, um, and maybe, and I don't think actually that like our our culture in the U.S. has ever really been like humility <laughs> and respectfulness and dialogue. So I read presidential biographies for fun. I know it's super nerdy, uh, but there's there've been very few periods where you know, it hasn't been super contentious. Like people are always yelling at each other and <laughs> screaming and, you know, saying why my way is the best way and your way is the devil. And, you know, so I just, don't, I don't think that that's actually a culture uh, value in our culture. And so we actually have a way to point to a countercultural value mm-hmm. of, hey, as followers of Jesus, here's how we interact. Here's how yeah. we give dignity and value in every situation in particular to individuals with whom we might strongly disagree or might not have a lot of overlap with. And so that gives me hope because I believe we just live in a time where people are so hungry for an alternative mm-hmm. to the, just the, you know, it, the polarization has gone so far up. And when I look at a passage like this, I just see uh, like, there's the answer. There's the answer. Yeah. Like, let's just, let's interact like Paul rather yeah. than just give in to, no, let's just scream louder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was yeah thinking of the exact same thing because I mean, yeah, I think most people like they want something different than what we see, you know, on our cable news channels, which mm-hmm. is just people barking at each other and and not <laughs> listening essentially. And it's like, no, some people love watching that, but like, but I think a lot of people want something different. You mm-hmm. know, that they they like. Does it have to be this way? Does 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 interactions. And that's why I think a lot of people, like, they don't want to engage in conversations about religion or about Christianity because they almost expect it to be similar to how other people talk about politics and, mm-hmm. and, and how contentious it can get. And, yeah, I think, you know, if if we can, you know, follow Paul's example here, yeah, I mean, I, I think people will be refreshed at the idea of, like, oh, I didn't know that talking about this stuff, uh, I could walk away desiring more I, just like you know the, the people here like some of the people and it says you know we paul we, we want to hear you again on this subject like hmm. it, it can be like that like yeah if, if we handle it like paul handles it yeah i, I think people will walk away huh i think i want to I, okay I, I could talk about that some more as opposed to like 
oh good, I've got that conversation over with. I've heard what they have to say. Like I'm just done. Like mm-hmm. I, I, I was, I was given this hard sell about how I have to accept Jesus into my heart right now, and like, I, you know, Christianity shouldn't be a sales pitch. Mm-hmm. It, like it, mm-hmm. it needs to be a, a, a conversation, um, inviting people to experience what what Jesus has for them, the, the kind of life that, that that he wants to provide, and. Yeah, it, a, sale, a, sale, a hard sales pitch is not going to, it's not going to intrigue anybody. Then. Mm-hmm. No. no. Okay, so if, if people are, are curious, people are spiritually curious, how can we do a better job of being able to share our faith with them? And I know that we've, I mean, we've, we've talked about this a lot so far, but it, yeah. any further thoughts? I would just encourage everybody, take the step to really have like slow down and I think you're going to have opportunities to have conversations. So um, we've referenced this before, but like, you know, in 2021 um, we did a sermon series uh, called bless and with these five simple practices Mm -hmm. to be a blessing to our neighbors. Right. And so I began to think about like even just interacting like with my physical neighbors, like the people live on Mm -hmm. my block. Right. And I was slightly embarrassed how much how how many more conversations I had with my neighbors and how much long longer they were by just pausing for like five seconds, mm-hmm. you know, and just as I'm engaging with, with my neighbors, right? Like we'll, we'll end up talking for a, a half an hour sometimes just out in the driveway or whatever. And it's just pausing long enough to create space for that and to not just rush from one thing to the next, to the mm-hmm. next, to the next, uh, and being willing to, again, just have some space to breathe and to pause. And um, so, yeah, I think I think just slowing down enough to to invite conversations from others and, and be a question asker. You know, mm-hmm. uh, there's every single person on planet Earth has something that they care deeply about. And so just if you ask questions, they're going to they're going to talk about that. And so I think that that's the that's just the bridge. And it goes back to you know, the, the, the theological concept of the incarnation, right? God mm-hmm. became human uh, through the person and the work of Jesus and became like us in order to be with us. And so therefore we need to, we need to live the same way. And that looks like showing up and mm-hmm. it could be simple as slowing down. And you can do that again in the office, um, in, in the lunchroom, you know, on, on your sports team, you know, where, wherever, you have relationships with people, just slow down and like ask them <laughs> how they're doing and, mm-hmm. you know, and yeah. just keep, keep listening. And I think that's really the starting point. Yeah. Yeah. It's something that I, I would refer to, you know, a lot in student ministry is like, you know, encouraging our students to do some pre evangelism. You know, mm-hmm. I get like, and we don't, we don't really use the word evangelism anymore, but like the idea of sharing our faith, like, like, you know, we're, we're going to do this event uh, coming up at the end of March here. You know, it's a bring your friend event. But like, but we've just told students, like, look, invite your friends. We're just going to play games. And there's not going to be a gospel presentation or anything like that. But ultimately, like, just invite your friends to come do something fun with you. Like, you know, mm-hmm. and it doesn't have to be at church necessarily, but it's mm-hmm. the idea of like, look, invite your friends. Let them see that, like, you know. You know that that your Christian friends gather and and we can have fun together or whatever and you know what and then maybe maybe it'll stoke some curiosity of like oh maybe I'll want to come back next week you mm-hmm. know and and again mm-hmm. that how does that translate into you the listener and where you're at right now 
I have no idea, but but think of some ways of like, okay, oh boy, I have to share my faith, and I've got to, I've got to set a time and a place, and there's got to be this lunch that I do it. Yeah, just how about you you do the work of pre evangelism and just spend time with that person and invest in their lives, invite them to do something that you enjoy, go take the initiative. Like you know, if they do something that they're having fun with, like see if you can tag along and do something like that. But but do some of that work and let God open up the door to be able to then share your faith as opposed to making it a calendar appointment of like, okay, I've got to get this done. Mm-hmm. This, this, this is the day that I'm sharing my faith with this person. Like, no, like every time that we're interacting with people, those are opportunities, little opportunities to share your faith, even in terms of how you love them well. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Oh, it's been really good. Yeah, this is good stuff. Jeff, thanks, man. Thanks for uh, reintroducing everybody to my favorite band, Epicureans and Stoics. Uh, always, always good. I'm trying to think of other 90s bands that we can throw out there, you know, Third Eye Blind or whatever. <laughs> I don't think they would have played with Third Eye Blind. But, uh, <laughs> but this has been great. Again, thanks for, uh, thanks for listening. If you think this would be a helpful podcast for somebody else to listen to, feel free to share it. Uh, make sure we talked a lot about Instagram. Uh, you, know, you can always follow our Instagram account, our Facebook account online. Uh, we've got our YouTube channel. Hit the subscribe button there so you're always keeping up to date in terms of what's coming out. And uh, thanks so much for listening, and we encourage you to, to keep coming back and, and listening here. And, uh, yeah, and if we ever catch you live at one of our campuses, we would love to meet you and say hi. So, Jeff, thanks, man, and uh, we will catch you next time on the RBCC Podcast. Thanks for joining the Rainier View Christian Church Podcast. Be sure to hit that subscribe button to be notified for all future episodes. Be sure to connect with us on socials at Rainier View CC and find out more about us at rainierview.org.